Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I chat with Maya Toll. The Peaceful Power Podcast is here to help you live a movement-based lifestyle, utilizing fitness, yoga, and Ayurvedic techniques. Each week, I will bring you a motivational guest or a solo show geared to help you take action to live that peaceful, powerful life. Maya and I had a great discussion all about her new book, The Illustrated Herbiary. And um, I'm not going to give Maya a title because um, she, we talked about that and how she actually does not like to be, um, you know, kind of boxed in or given a title. So I am just going to kind of let her introduce herself. And um, we also talk about uh, the word witch and um, how that kind of is used in our language and maybe has been um, altered or changed over the generations. And we explore, you know, listening to our bodies and using plants as medicine. So we have a great, totally um, earthy, earth medicine, plant-based uh, show coming up for you guys. So I really hope you guys enjoy. And again, uh, let us know over on Instagram at andreaclassen21, um, over at Maya's Instagram. I think... I should have prepped ahead of time. I think it's just my atoll. Um, and we will, we will love to have any feedback or further questions about some of the stuff that we talked about today. All right. Thanks. And get ready for today's episode. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have my atoll on with me today. And we are going to chant, chant. Well, that's, that's <laughs> funny that that came that's out. Chant. <laughs> We are going to chat and maybe chant too. And so I want to kind of throw it over to you, Maya, and just kind of introduce yourself. Um, I want to know, because I was reading through some of your education and your background and all the teachers that you've learned from, um, I want to chat a little bit about how you found them too. So if you can kind of throw all of that together. <laughs> sure. Hi, everybody. My name's Maya Toll, and I work with um, I work with herbs. I'm known for working with herbs. I actually have two herbal supply stores called Herbiary, one's in Philadelphia and one's in Asheville. Uh, but the truth is, you know, herbs are a small part of the larger work that I do, which is to help women find their truth and their resonance through using what, what I call the three medicine kingdoms, which is herbs, um, animal medicine and and stones, which a lot of people call crystals. And so this is a, a very ancient way of doing earth medicine, really. Um, and I have had a lot of teachers because there's a lot of um, information in each of these different areas. And it, it just takes a while of walking and talking and learning to to kind of you know gather it, gather it up. So my my primary teacher, and this is this is the bit that gets people's attention, uh, is named Gina McGarry, and she's she's in Ireland. And I was fortunate to spend a year um, studying in Ireland with her. And then after that, I studied with Cher uh, a Cherokee medicine man named David Winston for three years. I uh, did some work up at Sage Mountain with Rosemary Gladstar and a number of other people that she had teaching at the time. I've studied essential oils. I'm currently studying um, Taoist stone medicine, which is a, a very ancient form of medicine from someone who's in the lineage of, and who I always forget whether he's like 84th or 88th generation Taoist monk. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
So it's, it's been a, a life walk of gathering, gathering knowledge, gathering information, gathering wisdom from many different corners of the world and using that to develop a, a way of being in the world, both in my physical self, like my, my, the healing aspects and working with my body, but also my spiritual self that, that feels kind of comfortable and holistic for me. And I want to ask too about like just finding your teachers. How did you find some of them? Were they kind of like names that, you know, popped out to you? Because I think sometimes people are trying to find teachers or even explore something deeper and they don't really know where to start. Oh, it's such a great question. It's really, um, it's really, how do I say this? There's like a, there's a serendipity piece in finding the right teacher, I think. Um, it's this combination of, you know, your desire and the crazy threads that you pull on the internet and the people you meet that all come together to weave this web that gets you to the right place at the right time. And, you know, sometimes we take missteps along that road. So for me, my first teacher, Gina, I, I discovered um, online, but it was, it was back before Google. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think I was using Alta Vista. So, you know, for those of you who are like 28 or 29, you're going, how, what? Um, but for those of you in your 40s, you might remember some of these pre-Google search engines. And um, I, I was teaching. I was teaching uh, either second grade or fourth grade. I don't remember which grade I had that year. And I had an old Victorian house that I had fixed up a, you know, a lot of the work myself. Um, and in the time that I was fixing up my house and focusing on, on teaching, a museum had come into my town. Uh, a New York City museum had decided to open a secondary branch in my town. And all of a sudden the housing prices went through the roof. And my little Victorian that I'd bought for $87,000 was worth three or four times that much. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so um, as has happened in my life many times, um, life started feeling like it was happening to me. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden things are coming at me that are totally unexpected. And as these different things happened, um, I was teaching for a not-for-profit and they had mis mismanaged the books and didn't realize it. And they thought they had $90,000 in the bank and they had $9,000 in the bank. Oh gosh. One of my roommates decided to move in with her boyfriend. The other decided to move back to Manhattan. Like things just started unraveling. And I suddenly went, oh, things are unraveling. I'm going to pay attention to that and go with the flow instead of against the flow. So I put my house on the market. Mm -hmm. And in the moment of putting my house on the market, I had that like, whoa, I'm, I'm creating this incredible void. You know, my, my roommates are gone. My job is going. My house is going. I really need to intentionally think about what, what I'm going to call into that void. Um, and that week I had a dream and the, in the dream, I flew with a woman over the ocean to this very forested Island that I knew was Ireland, even though there's no forest on Ireland anymore. Um, and I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Ireland. And 
then I had to figure out what the heck I was going to do <laughs> when I went to Ireland. So I went to the trusty, humongous computer because, you know, the computers were bigger and the search engines were not nearly as good. And um, I typed in Ireland Plus, and then I would put like all these different things I was interested in. Ireland Plus cooking, Ireland Plus pottery, Ireland Plus herbalism. Um, and... I was not getting very many hits. That's the other thing about these old search engines. You know, there, yes. there wasn't nearly as much information on the internet. Um, but what kept, kept coming up over and over again was Gina's name. Mm. And I was like, okay, this is the only clear direction I'm getting. And uh, she was teaching a course in like three or four months from, from that date. And so I signed up for it. And I went for a two-month study with her. And then I, I begged her to keep me, you know, like she didn't have an apprentice program. People say to me, you know, oh, how did you find an apprentice program? I didn't. I made an apprentice program. Mm. You know, I catapulted myself from my life. And I was, I was 33 years old. I was not, you know, 18 and um, kind of loose and easy. Like there was, there was a lot of life to um, kind of lay to rest to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and after I was there, I spent a good three or four weeks working on her until I convinced her that she was going to keep me for a while more. So sometimes, you know, you have to create the opportunity. Other times the opportunities are there, like David Winston runs a program and, um, you know, you, you don't just sign up. There's an interview and things like that, but it's there to be had. Mm -hmm. So I think both, both, things, both things are there. I love that. That's such a, such a great story just to, you know, show people how to kind of even just trust their intuition and just kind of go with the flow rather than, you know, just pack it in what's next. You know, I love that. Um, so how did you, so you've recently written a book and um, like, how does that fit into your story? Like how long have you been kind of thinking about this or working on it? So in terms of writing in general, I've been writing since I was a kid. Um, I remember when I was just graduated from college. My father took me out to lunch and, you know, he was sitting me down to have the talk. And the talk was, why aren't you writing? Oh, wow. Um, so I've, you know, I've been a writer my whole life. I've become a good writer through blogging. Mm. You know, that weekly practice of showing up and seeing what, what works in terms of communication, like, you know, what, what is actually touching people. Um, how do I actually reach out and share something in a way that resonates with someone else? Um, that's come through blogging. So, how long have you been blogging for? Oh, let's see. Probably seven or eight years. Wow. Yeah, and you know, it's once a week. So um, that's a lot of blog posts over time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you, you know, if you go on my blog, there are not. 1200 or however many blog posts, if you did the math, because a lot of the early ones were, were drag, you know, like it, it took a while to get to the place where, um, I was doing this well. And I think we forget sometimes, you know, it's, we see someone suddenly appear, mm -hmm. they write a book or, you know, a screenplay or <laughs> appear on American Idol or whatever it is. And for us, they popped up out of the blue, mm -hmm. but they've been quietly crafting their skills. They've been practicing. You know, when I, 
when I work with people to learn herbalism um, as a skill set, they, they often want to jump right into being a practitioner, being someone who's seeing clients, working with people. And one of the things I always point out is like, look at that word, practitioner. It's someone who practices, mm-hmm. commit to practicing and the rest will come. That's so true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's the same where with my Ayurveda, cause I'm like, I've been studying it like two and a half years just to finally maybe become like the certified coach. Then I'll, you know, study more to be a practitioner. And I haven't seen any patients in person, you know, and people are like, Oh, I'm like, no, I'm like, it's, I can teach you guys some of the skills, but like to actually do that, like it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot, it's intense. So I'm like, that's sometimes I guess lost, I suppose, definitely in our social media age where things are fast and we're like, Oh, you know, we see this person one day and then disappears the next, or this person comes out of the blue. And that's, you know, that journey sometimes gets lost. And I think there's also, um, a claiming, you know, there's, there's so much talk in our culture about appropriation. Yes. And I think that that talk is so misguided. You know, we focus on, um, like, for instance, if you're using sage yep. to smudge with, oh, is that appropriation? Yeah. I think it's appropriation when you claim to have skills or a level of initiation that you have not yet achieved. Mm. And I, you know, I, we, that's, that is rampant. People take one course and they're, you know, an essential oil, whatever, or, you know, <laughs> a, a yoga, whatever. Um, that to me is what appropriation really is. Allow yourself to take the journey, go through the true initiation. I'm so glad you spoke on this. Oh, one of my pet peeves. Yes, I want to explore (laughs) that more because I'm like, I was thinking the same thing because I had seen that too. I'm like, oh, should, I was thinking like, should I not be using sage and then, you know, crystals? And I'm like, oh man, you know, like, should I not be doing any of this? You know, and that's kind of like, where well, with I, your last name, you can't eat pasta either, and uh, and I'm not, you know I'm not sure you can go in like hot springs because did they have them? Where you know what I, I like? Yes, it, yes. It, to to me, if we look back culturally, thousands upon thousands of years, people have been trading ideas and trading tools. Mm-hmm. You know, sage is a sage is a tool. I mean. The plants are my friends, so it's kind of strange to call it a tool, but it's, um, it's, an, it's an object, and then we choose how to use it. Mm-hmm. And so people have been burning plant material all over the world forever mm-hmm. um, as part of ceremony, as part of um, clearing space. I mean, perfume, the French word perfume, um, is, was actually two words. And it was, I'm going to butcher the French because I only have high school level, but it was parfumé, which is um, by the smoke. And so women would throw flowers into the fire and then they'd dry their hair in front of the fire. And the, the, the scented smoke would, you know, get dried into their hair. So yes, white sage is particular, not to Native Americans in general, because that's a vast number of individual cultures and tribes, but to a very specific region where it grew. Um, but 
regular culinary sage was used in the Middle East. Um, you know, mugwort, mullein, cedar, all kinds of things have been burned. People burned whatever was local to them. And so for me, I don't think that burning something that is not local to your region is appropriation. I think that appropriation is claiming that because you've burned something, you've achieved some level of initiation within a certain tribe, right? Like whatever tribe used that first, if you claim to be a medicine man of that tribe because you bought some sage and burned it, that's appropriation. that's that's my take and i you know i think that i think that people are looking for ways to make the world more fair and more equitable and i applaud that and i think that sometimes an idea gets planted in someone's skull and like you can't dislodge it you know yeah. um and it it started in a really good place but then it becomes this fixed, immovable, inflexible lump that is really just as negative as whatever it is they're fighting against. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's very true. Cause I, I was just battling that myself. I was like, Oh, you know what to do and what not to do. And then I'm like, man, but like some of like working with plants, like my grandma, I mean, the knowledge that she has is vast and I can still go ask her, you know, all of the tools and, you know, she has been gardening and working with the land for years. You know, she's a farmer's wife and she's 92. And, you know, my grandpa had been farming since 96 or he's 96. And so like just the wisdom they have from working with the earth and just, you know, different soils and having that, I'm like, like, that's in my blood. Like, I know it is because I can feel it when I'm out there and I'm like, I think there's something wrong with this soil. I don't know why. And so that's where I'm like, I feel like this is not you know, like, again, maybe it's just taken in a different spin rather than being like, okay, but let's, let's really look at this and just see, is this really the issue? Right. Exactly. And are we, are we talking about a symptom instead of talking about the real issue? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Yeah. And there's, there is a side issue with sage in particular, which is it's become so popular that there's some concern now about, um, over harvesting in the wild and it becoming endangered. Yeah. So that to me is actually the reason not to burn sage or, you know, like, you know, those bundles you get, the, the smudge bundles, mm-hmm. by the way, I've also heard that the word smudge is a native American word and it's appropriation to use it. The word smudge has European roots. It is not a native American word. <laughs> it just, it's not in that language group. I mean, it's like, Ah, uh, okay. Yes, yes. But anyway, sage itself is becoming um, overharvested and endangered. And so if you have one of those smudge bundles, you can cut it open. Like one of those really big ones is a lifetime supply of sage. Um, so cut it open and just burn a leaf, which also, if you've ever lit one of those smudge bundles and it lights up like a torch and it's really hard to put out and your whole house fills with like, way too much smoke. It's, it's overkill for everyday use. Just mm-hmm. use one leaf. Like I will use one leaf, no kidding for a month. Wow. You light it, you go around and then you, you stub it out and you use it again. See, I think that's good information too, just to teach people how to use it properly. And, you know, like for me, I, I prefer Palo Santo cause I'm like, I just like that smell better. 
yep. for whatever reason. So I'm like, that's what I usually, I usually use. Um, like I just gave away sage cause I was like, I don't want it to go to waste. And so like at my last new moon circle, anyone who came, I was like, Hey guys, I have some that I'm not, I know I won't use. So, and just kind of, I'm like, I'd rather give it away and have someone use it than just, you know, have it go to waste. And, um, you know, I just think that sometimes even teaching people how to, you know, use sage or even, you know, some of the plants. And so, you know, kind of coming back to some of the stuff in your book, because I do want to talk about um, the beautiful language that you used and the pictures that you used in this book. Like, because when I first looked through it, I was expecting, you know, like just a picture of the actual plant and the illustrations are, I mean, they are of the plant, but they're just so beautifully done. Like what inspired you to do that take on the plant? Yeah. So, um, this, this book was a process like, so, like so many things in life. And, um, it actually came out of a memoir I was working on of my time in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And at the head of each chapter was a lyrical description of a plant that kind of led into the chapter. And I was working on the memoir and realizing like, wow, I, I might be working on this memoir for 10 years. Like this is a long-term project. Um, but whenever I would read these little chapter heads to people, they were really enchanted. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I could do like a little um, deck of beautiful images with these little write-ups, like something very simple just to help people connect with the energy of the plants. Because we're all, people say I'm not a plant person. Everyone is a plant person. Mm -hmm. Everyone is a plant person because that very first inhale you took when you entered this planet was of oxygen. And that was a gift from the plants. Every breath you take is a gift from the plants. We are in constant dialogue and relationship. We breathe in oxygen and exhale CO2. They breathe in CO2 and they exhale oxygen. Mm -hmm. It's a dance and we are in it all the time. So even if your brain doesn't know anything about the plants, your body is still in communion. I mean, a good portion of the food we eat is plant material. So on some level, we resonate. And what's been fascinating is, you know, as this book has gone out into the world, um, all sorts of people are interested in this book. People who don't garden, people who, you know, don't use herbs as medicine um, are finding their way to this book because we're really talking about meeting the plants as though they were people just discussing kind of like, what's their personality? Um, so this really started as, as a deck idea, as this idea of like, let's provide some beauty, both in, in language and in imagery to allow people to come into relationship. Um, and from there, my you know, practicality sets in and my publisher said, oh yeah, we'd love to do a deck. And then they came back to me a few weeks later and they said, you know, we, we realized that in the bookstores, um, the book buyers don't buy the decks. The gift buyers buy the decks. And we have relationships with the book buyers, not the, the gift buyers. Um, so we can't do a deck. And I said, okay, is this project dead in the water? And they said, yeah, it kind of is. And I sat with that for a little while and I said, well, why can't this be a book? Um, so it became a book. And then 
they said, well, let's put a deck in the back. And it was funny because at that point I said, I said, oh no, 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 no. Perforated, <laughs> that's going to be yucky. That's like, you know, that's not going to feel good. But they, I, story, it's story um, publishing and they knocked it out of the park. I mean, they just attended to every detail and, um, you know, the, the quality straight through is impeccable. I mean, it's so, everyone who's like seen my book, everyone is like, what is that? And everyone can grab it. And I mean, even just like opening it to the first pages where there's no words and it's just these beautiful birds and you're just like, what? This is gorgeous. And so usually from there, people just kind of start spinning through it. And like, I, I do want to read a little passage just to show people if, in case they still are intimidated, just to show the language that you're using to describe these plants and just kind of it's very accessible. So this is about the plantain and it's, it's called Remember the Basics. And it just says, remember when you were a kid and you'd lie on the ground, feeling the grass tickle your back and the sun warm on your face. Remember when rolling log-like down a hill was the perfect afternoon activity. I mean, like just the description that you're using, it just takes you back to that time. And I, I love reading through that and just kind of getting to know the plant in that, you know, fashion. And then the reflection, like, having a little, you know, either journaling questions after, or just an activity that you can do to really deepen your connection, you know, with yourself and get to know this plant a little bit more in turn. So, I mean, just it's beautifully done. So if someone's, you know, looking, should I get it? Should I not? Like, if you want to explore this, like this is top notch book. So thank you for creating this, Maya. It's gorgeous. Thank you. It was, it was so much fun to do. And the one thing that I do warn people is this is not um, what we call in herbalism a materia medica. A materia yeah. medica is, you know, something that tells you the, the physical medicine of the plants. Like, you know, this will help nausea or, you know, this will um, help you expel catarrh or whatever it is. Uh, this does not do that. So, you know, it's much more about kind of the, the feeling of the plant um, instead of the fact of the plant. And yeah. it makes it a lovely introduction. It also is interesting because there are practitioners who have said to me, you know, I've gotten so medical in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And this book reminds me that I'm just, I'm dealing with the earth and I'm dealing with um, like living, living beings that are part of this planet. And so I think it's a great way to come back to the roots of what herbalism and all the earth medicines are, which is working with the stuff of the earth, because we are the stuff of the earth, to support our well-being, but also, you know, the well-being of everything around you, you know? Um, I, I will make herbal tea for a plant that doesn't look very well and use it to water the plant, because what we're really talking about, about is just giving nutrients, you know, giving nutrients, giving minerals, giving vitamins, and um, every, every living being needs that. Mm. And how can we, you know, start to use our intuition, you know, maybe more through plants? So one of the things that I really encourage people to do is to tap in both with your intellect and your intuition, not to use either in, the, in a vacuum. So if you're reading about a plant medicine that you're interested in, you know, you have a little sniffle and you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to experiment. I'm not so sick. I don't need to go to the doctor. So I'm going to see if any of these plant medicines work. Um, as you're reading, 
check in with how your physical body feels. You know, does your physical body feel tired as you're reading about this plant? Does it feel inspired, enlightened? You know, is it, Martha Beck has this great um, way of, of doing a body check-in that she says, is it shackles on or shackles off? Does it make you feel like tied down and constricted or does it make you feel open and receptive and free? And so sometimes you have to find your own language, like what works for you when you check in with your body. Um, I think that the, the best place to start, and I, I teach this like in my program, Witch Camp, um, is imagine a time when you felt your heart open. For me, the time that, that I remember over and over again is I was living in the Hudson Valley, which is about an hour and a half north of New York City, and I was driving home from work, and the highway kind of crested a ridge, and below me was the Hudson River, and the sun was setting, and I just gasped. It was like a whole body gasp. Mm -hmm. You know, there was just this incredible vista and this moment of, of pure and unexpected beauty. Mm -hmm. And I know for other people, they felt the same way seeing their child be born. Um, you know, the first time that they realized they were in love with their partner. There, there are moments in our life where we just feel cracked open. And if you can think about that, then your body kind of recalls the body sensation. And I think that's a really good place to start because that's a very strong feeling for most people. And that, that reminds you what a hell yes feels like. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was just <laughs> even thinking of that, like for my trip, you know, a few months ago, it, like just being by the ocean, I sat there for like two and a half hours and just sat on the rocks and watched the ocean. And it was delightful. And I didn't even realize it had been two and a half hours because yeah. I sat, I journal, wrote some poems, just sat again and, you know, watched some people, watched the ocean. And it was delightful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so one of the words that you just used, cause I want to, I do want to unpack that, um, for the witch camp that you have is the word witch. So can we like dive in there and just kind of tell people, you know, what, what does witch mean to you and, you know, maybe just if people are like getting weird vibes about that word, you know, maybe just kind of unpack it for some people. Oh yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> let's please. Um, the first person who called me a witch was my brother-in-law and I was pissed. <laughs> I was so angry because, you know, for me, it felt in that moment to be belittling. Mm. I was in Ireland. I was studying so hard. I'm reading anatomy books and botany books and traipsing around in the fields and, you know, trying to um, learn the names of all these different plants and what parts you harvest and how you make medicine out of them, which is kind of chemistry and complicated. Um, it's not difficult, but there are things to learn. And it felt like he was making fun of me. Mm -hmm. You know, it really yeah. felt like like he was turning my life into a cartoon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was, I was really insulted. And I, I pushed back against that word hard. You know, there was, there was that instance. There was an instance where my teacher, David Winston, who's um, of Cherokee descent, um, 
said that, you know, witches were, were the, that was the word, the Anglo-Saxon word, because it's not a native word again, which was attached to the, the black, black magic practitioners. Um, you know, it's so funny. Language is so funny. I, I'm, I'm going to say black magic practitioner and I'm thinking, wow, you know, that could be said to have like all kinds of racist connotations. Um, and I, I, I don't think that traditionally that's, that's where that came from, but maybe it was. So mm -hmm. why don't we say, why don't we get rid of that and say um, maybe um, practitioners of, of ways that don't respect their fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so which was a word that was attached to those types of people. And there's, there's been this history, right? Um, if, you've, if you're brought up in the Christian faith, um, do not suffer a witch to live. So there's, there's been a history of this word being associated with people who are doing evil. Um, but what's really interesting is if you go back in time and you, you actually look at the historic record instead of kind of the reactionary use of the word, um, the word witch has linguistic connections to the word wise. And it was originally applied to women who knew herb craft and how to heal. And because they had this information at a time when the patriarchy was coming into power, they were being pushed out. Um, there's you know, this period in history where um, it's such a broad span of history and I'm trying to like abbreviate it into this tiny little package no, I, I get give to all of you. But, uh, but essentially what was happening was there was a span in history where um, people had moved beyond just having to care for their basic needs. You know, it, there was enough grain in the storehouses and enough uh, pastured animals for food that people could suddenly start thinking about like, huh, I kind of want my neighbor's land too, which when we were at subsistence level living, people couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So as people got covetous, people started forming armies and women didn't travel with new armies. So women had been in charge of a lot of the healing, um, but men were going to war and so they needed male doctors who were going to travel with the army. And it was also, you know, a very different kind of uh, healing at that point. You know, when you're talking about blunt trauma wounds and things like that, as opposed to um, childbearing and colds and flus and things. So men started to become physicians. And, and from that, training programs developed. But what's really interesting is if you go back a couple thousand years, and we actually have these books, this is not, you know, created myth. Um, the oldest herbals often say in the introduction that this male physician went out into the countryside to talk to the old wives to learn their healing practices and to learn what herbs they used. So those old wives, which was W-Y-F-F, <laughs> uh, they became the witches as 
as this information became the domain of man. And so, you know, a, a witch was a woman who knew some things she wasn't supposed to know. So mm -hmm. I do think that there's reason to reclaim the word, you know, to, if not reclaiming the word itself, to at least reclaim the energy of that word, that, that sense of having power in a male-dominated world, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So for myself, people always say, are you a witch? And I, you know, I don't like any labels. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm kind of label averse. And so I call myself witchy, mm -hmm. but I don't call myself a witch. I also don't like calling myself an herbalist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's very few label words that I'm comfy with. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not comfy with witch, you know, let's mm -hmm. just call a spade a spade. Um, but witch calls my tribe. When, when I do witch camp every year, people are like, I'm a little scared, but I'm really, really interested in just having a sense of who I am as a woman and what, you know, what comes through this long lineage of female history and, um, the parts of ourselves we've shut down because of things like being scared to be called a witch, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I think that dancing with the word, even if you don't want to, you know, wear the hat, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, that it helps us to get to know ourselves and it helps us to face our fears. So once a year I do witch camp mm -hmm. and, um, you know, usually a couple hundred We've had, we've had over a thousand women um, oh my gosh. come together to experience for 21 days what it is to live in your intuitive body and explore um, allowing that intuitive part of yourself rise to the surface. Oh, that sounds amazing and so needed. And that's, I mean, that's part of my mission is to help people, you know, connect back with who they really are and connect with themselves and follow their intuition. So I love, I love the sound of that. Um, and that's, you know, they can find that on your website if they're interested in joining. Absolutely. Yeah. Head over to my website and um, it's going to be starting pretty soon, just depending on exactly when this airs, but like yeah. within the next week or two, you'll want to head over and check that out. We only do it once a year. It's mm. um, there's something about the, the way the light is in late October you know, it's oh, the gloaming yeah. of the year and it's, it's just yummy and lush. And I feel like it's a great time to turn inward. Yes. Yeah. I've always loved October. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And growing up on the farm, that's like the harvesting season too. So you're like, oh yeah. Yes. It's fun. It's a fun month. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. And that's um, definitely the viewpoint I've had on the word witch and in my learnings about it. And, you know, I've just kind of become more familiar with it in the last few years. And, you know, and I would invite people just to even do their own research and just kind of, you know, read up on different books. Um, I was trying to think if I had any offhand, not directly with the word witch, but um, Return of the Divine Sophia. That's a good book if anyone wants to explore more. And, um, you know, just kind of, I would do your own research on that too and just dig in there and just learn. Cause that's, that's what I think a lot of it is about is just opening up our minds and just saying, okay, what is this true? Why is this true? Or is this just something that's been passed down that maybe 
you know, we need to re-examine. Right. And I think also sometimes when we look at the, at the energy and not the language, mm-hmm. you know, yes. um, we can get really tripped up on language. I mean, first of all, because I, I love words. I'm always looking up the etymology of words, but most people don't do that. Mm-hmm. So first of all, we don't really know what the words mean. And, and you know, they come down through time and they get layered with everyone's ideas and associations. And sometimes I feel like if we can just put down the language, you know, yeah. the language, wow, the language can be really difficult. The language can betray us. Yeah. And it gets, I mean, it changes throughout those years too. So like what it meant then, it's probably been changed, diluted, twisted and turned throughout the years. Yes. And even, I mean, even in modern history, like Vogue did a witchy week a a year ago, June. Oh, wow. Vogue, you know? So um, I, I think things come and go. They come through our cultural filter in the moment. And I think that, you know, when Vogue did that witchy week, it was like in time with the Me Too movement just getting rolling and it felt like a really empowering thing. Yeah. Um, so. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love it. And, and, you know, one thing I, I would say with the word witch and this, this concept, like not even the word, let's go to the concept mm-hmm. um, of being a woman of power, mm-hmm. right? And then you can use that power for good, for evil, for stupidity, for, you know, for brilliance. Um, it's, it's a tool like anything else. And I think that when we kind of go back to that concept of being a woman of power, then there's something new to unpack. Like what's scary about that for you? Oh, I love it. I love it. That I basically was trying to articulate that yesterday and it did not come out that way. So I like <laughs> So I love it. I was like, I'm gonna have to write that one down and be like, that's that's pretty much what I was trying to say, but didn't quite make it that way. <laughs> oh. When you're in someone when you're in a conversation, you're in someone else's energy. Right? Yes. Especially if it's in person and like you're dealing with all the energy threads while you're dealing with the language threads and it's confusing and it's yes. hard and it yanks on both your emotions and your intellect and you end up someplace you never intended to go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> oh, well, Maya, it's been such a pleasure having you on. And I just, um, you know, you can find your book, The Illustrated Herbiary on uh, Amazon, right? Yes. That's where I, I got it. So I was like. A lot of local bookstores and I'm, yeah. always, oh, I'm always such a fan of supporting your local um, bookseller if you have one. Yes. So yes. they can always order it for you if they don't have it in, but um, a surprising number of people are finding it in their local bookstores. Oh, that's, I mean, it's so beautiful. If you see it in person, you're like, I need this book. So I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I have one final question for you. And I always like to throw out a weekly challenge to the listeners. And when I have guests on, I have you throw out a weekly challenge. So what would you like that challenge to be this week? Mm, I would love it if all of you who are listening would spend this week tuning into your body, knowing that that's how your intuition speaks to you. And so when you make a decision, just feel, you know, like when you said to your, to your partner, oh yeah, let's go out for dinner. How does your body feel? You know, when you get in the car to go to work in the morning, how does your body feel? 
begin to be aware of sensation within your body because that's how you begin to really tap into your intuition. I love it. Yes. That is great homework. Um, and it's something that I try to practice daily. And if you are someone who forgets, maybe you just set up a certain time during the day and just put an alarm on your phone and just say, Hey, it's 1 PM. How do I feel? Yes. You know, just to add on, if you're like, Oh, I keep forgetting to do that. And that is a great starting point. And then hopefully you'll become more of a habit. So I love it. <laughs> I love that. That's an excellent addition. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you again. It's been such a pleasure having you on. And um, I know people are going to get lots of takeaways. And um, thank you for your time. Oh, Andrea, thank you so much. It was, it was delightful. Mm, thank you. And everyone, go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.